Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You know, I've been using the Vortex Optics brand for years. The high quality combined with their unmatched VAP warranty makes them, in my opinion, the best in the business. Now, Vortex has a huge variety of optics to accommodate any and every hunter's needs and budget. With Vortex, you don't need to spend thousands of dollars to get great optics, but, you know, if you're the kind of feller who doesn't mind spending their entire paycheck on a set of optics, they got you covered too. I've talked to the folks over at Vortex, and their theory is, look, shit happens. Things get broken. With Vortex, it doesn't matter if you drop your binos off that high glass and spot, or you run over your rangefinder that you put on your tailgate while shooting your bow, or your kid accidentally threw your spotter in the fire. As long as you have something that the folks over at Vortex can identify as their brand, they're going to replace it free, no charge, no BS either. New set in the box, done. You're back hunting again. I know from experience this is a great selling feature with the missus. When you got to break the news to her that you're all going to have to eat a little lighter over the next two weeks because you just spent your whole damn paycheck on a set of binos, just explain to her that's a lifelong investment and she'll get right over it. Well, maybe not right over it, but eventually. I love Vortex Optics. I've always used their stuff and I always will. And now I love them even more because they're a supporter of this podcast you guys are listening to. Now I'm happy to be working with Vortex Canada. My wife got over the whole two weeks pay on a set of binos thing, so she's happy again. And you're going to be more than happy with your new set of Vortex Optics. I guarantee it. Well, this sucks. Fishing make, yeah, I've the never, hunting makes I've up never for the fishing. hunted there, and I'd love to. Like BC is definitely a a big goal, but man, the non-resident the non-resident licenses are expensive. Yeah, yeah, they're they're a killer for sure. No, you must hunt out there. Yeah, well, it's been a little bit of a the last few years have been kind of up and down. It's like we we're both from Ontario, so you know we had like bear, white-tailed deer, turkey. Um, moose as well but we didn't do a lot of moose hunting there um 
and then like the waterfowl hunting in Ontario was incredible. Um, and then the last few years we've been in Northern Labrador. So it's, it, it's like a, there's sort of a, the hunting kind of took extremes a little bit where um, there's, I mean, there's, so it's a caribou area, but the caribou population there has crashed hard. So there's no caribou hunting anymore, but we also lived in a, a land claim, like an Inuit land claim settlement area. So um, we were residents of the province, but didn't actually have access to a lot of the hunting licenses that went that you only, only to Inuit. Um, so there's a moose hunt there, but we weren't able to get those. Um, but then we had, you know, then there's all these like just really cool, I think there's polar bears and seals. Um, if you could go seal hunting and that's ptarmigan, grouse, uh, ducks and geese. Um, but there was, it was, a, and, and black bears. So, I mean, we had a couple of the best black bear, black bear meat from there is incredible. So we kind of like our, our hunting kind of went a lot more in like boom and bust than it did in Ontario, where it sort of generally stayed st a little bit steady through the year where we would, um, you know, we'd get, we'd get ptarmigan in the winter a little bit. Um, and then hopefully some bear, but it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of the, you know, I mean, like, there was a lot of stuff out there, but not, but, but we didn't actually get to do as much of it consistently as we, as we would have. But yeah, now on the Island, um, the moose hunt here is the big one. Uh, there's moose, caribou and bear for big game. Uh, oh, yeah. This is definitely like the Island hunting. I mean, moose were introduced here in the, um, 1918 or something like that. Um, but, but the island hunting culture is, is moose. I mean, it's like, that's the bread the whole, and butter. Yeah. It's the whole, like, did you get your moose yet? Is like the, is like the greeting in the fall, you know, for hello. So, yeah, yeah, that, that's nice out here. We, we have to get an LEH for a moose and region eight. I mean, they have a spike fork, but I mean, yeah, good luck. I don't even, the, yeah. I, I mean, I always have a tag in my pocket just in case, but I don't, I don't go looking for them. No way. Yeah. Still waiting on my LEH, which what is it? What is that? Limited entry hunt. So oh, okay, okay. Yeah, you have to put in for every year. You you apply for specific species hunts, and um, the yeah. moose in Region Eight is one of them. But it's a mm. tough one to get. My cousin. It's funny. We we put in for moose draws as a group. It sort of increases your odds a little bit. In the time that my cousin and I started putting in this one specific region he puts in a group and then i put in a, with a group mm -hmm. he's gotten it twice and i have never gotten it oh yeah <laughs> but it yeah. works off the lottery system right so yeah he must he must have a better hunter number than i do yeah or, or just manages to walk around uncomfortably with the horseshoes yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i'd like to get i mean if we're going to be here longer i'm going to the it's a bit of a weird system here with moose and caribou where you same thing, like you, you put in for a, a particular, you know, area or unit. Um, but the, but the odd part is that the moose and caribou systems are synchronized. So as you work your way up, I think there's like seven or eight pools, right. And like priority statuses, but if you, you, it's the same for both moose and caribou. So you could apply for both every year, but then once you draw one, you go back down in the pool for both species. Yeah which seems super strange. I'm sure there's a logic to it, but I haven't quite figured it out. Uh, maybe, I think maybe it's just making sure people are, you know, distributing the opportunity, but um, I would, I think I, I'm going to, I should, you know, foolishly had not been putting in my name in for the draw on the Island while I was in Labrador, because I never thought that I would need to. I never thought that I'd be 
living here. So I unfortunately burned two or three years of uh, moving up in the pools, but I'm going to start putting in for the caribou one because I'd love to, um, yeah, I'd love to get out for a caribou. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be a lot of fun here. We have an over the counter for caribou. So I know, (laughs) which is nice, but I mean, um, yeah, the caribou are, they're a hurting unit over in BC. Yeah. Yeah. But I know a lot of other provinces, they, they run the same, uh, similar system. So yeah, yeah, it seems to work. I don't know. There's controversy on in BC on doing a lottery or going to a point system, but I don't know. There's a lot of species and a lot of draw opportunity so i don't know i don't know you know i have to look into a little bit more on on if it would work in bc or not i know some people say that it wouldn't some people say it just wouldn't work so yeah i think ontario just moved to uh i i think i haven't looked into it a lot but i think ontario just moved to a a point system for moose and there's the associated or expected you know some people love it some people hate it so so do you have any hunts planned for this year? Well, if we can, if we're going to be here in the fall, so we're not, we're not totally sure if we're actually, we're going to kind of depend a little bit on, on how things shake out with travel and things, but we're not totally sure if we're going to be here for this coming fall. But if we are, then we'll definitely get out for, uh, for moose at some point uh, with some friends. Um, I'd like to do better to get another bear. We have a, a bear that we're we got we shot in june in labrador and we're getting just to the the end of it here so it'll it'll be good timing either well either this to, to get out, hopefully get out in the fall for another bear um yeah do they have uh spring bear hunts out there you know it's that's actually it's funny i actually don't even know if there's a spring bear hunt here because because the the, the regulations were so different between labrador and newfoundland i i was always so the province does, the province has a spring bear hunt. Cause I, um, when I was in Labrador, that's what I got, but I don't actually know what the seasons are on the Island. Um, it's got such a different ecology and wildlife management situation. on like on the Island from the main, from the mainland. Um, but yeah, if, if there is, then, uh, then spring bear would be the one with a, a great choice. Yeah. I love, I love the spring bear hunt. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun for sure. Um, yeah, and it's just a nice. Uh, it's a nice to have a big game season. Yeah, it's a good game season. <laughs> yeah, it's a good breakup for sure. And the daunting, yeah. the daunting winter. We do yeah, turkey exactly. as well, which is fun. Okay, yeah. They, so they've there's no turkey here. I, I love turkey. That's what I started hunting with turkeys, and uh, um, I absolutely love it. There's no turkey season here. There, but there's been there's been some efforts um, among a small group here to to introduce turkeys to the island oh yeah um, yeah i mean it's the, the the provincial wildlife managers have have said that there's no way it's not going to happen um which is the right call it, it, it's not a it's not a good choice um they're not native to here so it would, it would just be a total introduction just for hunting so um i'm yeah. like not at all in support of that and neither is the province yeah they just yeah so, yeah, I think they need the right environment to, to manage. So, but here, yeah. I know here in the southern part of BC, they kind of just took off. Yeah, they're everywhere, especially in the Kootenai Are region. They? Yeah. Okay. Crazy numbers. But it's funny when you're hunting them, and uh, we typically have this one spot where we've hunted birds for quite a while. And then um, a year and a half ago, they started logging in that area and it chased all the birds out of there, obviously. So, uh, we had to go find some new spots. And uh, we were pretty astonished to, to, uh, find out that, 
you know, the amount of birds that were in places we wouldn't think they were. And, uh, yeah, oh, sure yeah. enough, they were there. Yeah. So, that's cool. Yeah. They're pretty resilient, pretty they're, resourceful. They're little such birds. an interesting species. Yeah. Like they, I don't know if you're, how much you're familiar with the Ontario story there, but they were totally hunted to extirpation from Ontario. Um, oh, really? Yeah. in like the 1800s and then they were reintroduced, um, the kind of late 20th century, um, I think in the, I think early two thousands, um, and, or I don't know, I guess earlier than that. So I guess it was in the eighties, the eighties, they were introduced and elk in the early two thousands, but in any case, turkeys were, were reintroduced in the eighties. And, uh, it's just, it's been a total success story. Um, there's now, there's now a spring and fall hunt for them. Um, and you can, if you can, an individual can shoot three birds a year. Um, now success rates are, are, rarely that high but you can yeah you can do it um which is which is amazing so it's a total it's a yeah they, they, they've been totally successful there yeah i'd love to go into uh over to ontario and get an eastern that's good we have miriams over here and but man they're a lot of fun they're, yeah. a hoot. they're a hoot um we have the same thing but we have we're allowed one in the spring and one in the fall and the kootenays you're allowed uh i think you're allowed two in the fall so but uh, okay. no shortage of them, but I never, I've never chased them in the fall. There's just too much going on. Same here. Yeah. 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 So just to uh, answer this question, there is, yeah, there is a spring bear season on the Island as well. So, Oh yeah. Well, there, there you go. go. Yeah. Uh, and something to do from May to July 15th. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love the, I love the spring bear hunt. So you, uh, you're a rifle hunter or a bow hunter or both? So I started, I only started hunting in my twenties. Um, I guess I was about, um, 25 or, or so, uh, 26, 25, 26, and, uh, got into it specifically because of bow hunting. So I had, um, talked to some friends who, um, who were bow hunters and, and I didn't really know much about bow hunting, to be honest. I mean, I had not having, I didn't grow up with hunters, hunting family or anything. So I only really okay, so associated did you shoot, uh, have you shot archery though, before you started bow hunting? You know, like as a kid, like at summer camps. Oh, yeah. right? So I, I knew I liked shooting a bow and arrow, like shooting, an, like sh I knew I liked archery, but I didn't, I had no idea. I had never even seen a compound bow. Um, so I, when someone started, uh, some, my one friend in particular who was telling, telling me kind of, oh, actually, you know, it was in one of my master's, he's on like a master's committee and was telling me a lot about bow hunting and I kind of was like I, you know I had no idea that that you could do this and everything about it appealed to me I mean for all the same reasons that it does to a lot of people um I the the you know the close proximity of the whole thing I like the the more kind of physical mechanical part of it um the the quietness of it so that was really my, my archery and the, 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 the kind of romantic appeal of archery um and the challenge of it was really my kind of gateway. Um, so I got into hunting specifically because I wanted to bow hunt. Um, had, and uh, actually had, had never even shot a gun. So um, got it now long, like all that long story short, I've actually not killed anything with my bow. It's all been shotgun and rifle <laughs> since then. So it's sort of, it's sort of funny that like I, that I, you know, so it got me into it. We would reshoot our bows. Right? We live near a range. We shot our bows a few times a week. In Labrador, we, it was a lot easier because we could, we had a basement that had some space. And then we also just had unlimited outdoor space so we could go shoot. Um, 
but then uh, bow hunting opportunities are pretty difficult in Labrador just because of the um, the weather and some of the terrain. Now, you know, maybe I'm just making excuses. People do it, but um, yeah. So no, I, I actually everything everything has been rifle and shotgun for me. But I I still like super identify as someone who you know archery does archery and bow hunts. But um, yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah, it's 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 uh with archery it's one of those things yeah i mean i'm pretty fortunate in my place i can step out into my front uh yard there and shoot my bow i got i got up to i can get 60 yards in my front yard so nice are you compound or yeah compound yeah. yeah yeah no my cousin's uh tradition he, he's gone back to compound now but i mean he was okay he was a traditional but yeah, and that was like when I when I to the guy who was telling me about it he said well you know i've got a, a bow that i store down at the archery range just go in there and tell them I said, you can, you could try it. And, um, I had no idea about draw lengths and draw weights and stuff. Right. It turned out that we were the same draw length, which worked out, which is, I'm sure he knew when he said, go ahead and try it, but they hand me this, it was a white Hoyt and they were, you know, um, yeah, go ahead, shoot. So, I mean, it was like, it's not an exaggeration that like the first time I shot that bow, I was like, this is it. I'm in, this will be my new obsession. Um, I now shoot a prime um that i got a few years ago and i've never looked back from that i love the, their bows um but yeah it's it's great i mean it's it's so much fun um yeah i've never tried the prime bow i shoot a hoyt myself yeah okay i had a couple hoyts yeah um so i mean it, i went from hoyt to prime so i mean it at least tells you like they now they're very different and i was looking for something different but yeah so i have now that like, I, I have so i had um number of years ago in Ontario, I was hunting bear with my bow and shot a bear and did not recover it. And I like to think that it did not have any kind of impact on confidence and psychology with my bow, but I think I'd be kidding myself if I said that. Um, so since then I've, I've only used rifle for, for bear. So um, yeah, so we'll see. Yeah, I still hunt bear in the spring with my bow. It's a lot of fun. You get a good rush sometimes when they, uh, we think they're a little further than they are and they pop up. Oh my know, gosh, yeah. 15 so feet quiet. from you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a yeah. lot of fun. It's, it's a hoot. So what's the difference? Going back to your prime bow, what, what did you notice? The, what was the selling feature over the Hoyt? So one of the things that I had wanted, I wanted a limb stop bow. Um, now, since I bought this one in 2016, both Hoyt and Prime have actually changed their, their cams and their, their stop systems. But at the time, right, Hoyt only had the cable stops and Prime only had the limb stops. Um, and at the time, like Elite was only, was I think the only other company using permanent limb, limb stops and I loved a lot of people don't like that really firm hard back wall but I really liked it I wanted something that was not quite as um you know spongy as the as the Hoyt that I had I had a charger um so I really like that part of it now I think both Hoyt and Prime have interchangeable systems on their on their bows yeah. um but uh I also I also wanted to try a different like a you know Hoyt's like cam and a half system. I also want to try a different. I was just curious about trying a different cam system, whether it was the dual cams or um, or solo cams or whatever. And um, I like I, I kind of I would tinker with it all the time. I was sort of obsessive with messing with the the tuning and and for, you know for Hoyt's you um, 
which again, I know I get a lot of people like this, but you, you're, you kind of really play around with the, with the cables to deal with the cam lean issue and you get a lot of like tuning advantages that way. But I also was really curious about trying a system that claimed to have completely eliminated anything, any concern around cam lean and, uh, and timing yeah. especially. Yeah. And I'll tell you, like after, so I bought this one in 2016. This is also the long, the longest that I've ever not considered wanting and looking at a new bow because I was always like what am I going to try next what am I going to try next and I've never had a cam timing issue um there's no string like I've never had any kind of weird like like peep rotation or anything like that so um yeah those were some of the those were some of the things I wanted to try at least um I was it was I was really just curious about some of the different systems I was so into it that I was like just wanted to see what they were what they were all about yeah man I Oh, I, I used to obsess over, you know, all those little things, cam lean and everything. And then finally one day I was like, Hey man, I'm, it's affecting my shooting. I got to just stop. Yeah. I got to just stop, stop messing with it. You know, and I just, uh, it just becomes an obsession. So I totally know it what does. You, you just got to, it takes, it takes over and you're, and all you're constantly doing is having to recite because you're making little adjustments. And yeah, exactly. Every time, yeah. every time you screw with it, you got to, then now you're, you're, you're adjusting your pins and or you're yep, adjusting your yeah. peep and then you're like oh man i'm just i'm not getting any shooting time i gotta just that's exactly it, i gotta yeah. get comfortable and then i just have to learn to work around that that's it yeah and i went through i went through all of the things like i i regularly rotated out different i would buy a site and sell it i'd buy a single pin then i'd buy a three pin and a five pin and then i would oh, yeah. I'd try one of those those trophy ridge react sites that that are supposed to like site in from 10 to a hundred yards automatically for you. And I switched out my arrows um, to try different weights and stuff. Um, yeah, man, I've I got mean, a, yeah. I've got a closet full of sights, full of releases. <laughs> yeah. The <laughs> only thing I've never messed with is my release. Actually, like I've never, I've tried the um, thumb and the thumb releases and stuff, but I, I still, I still use the same, you, you know, wrist trigger? strap trigger release. Yep. Yeah. Um, so do you use like a, a dual caliper or single cal single caliper? It's a dual. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, it's just it's the only one I haven't. It's the only thing I've never really like. Well, that and stabilizers. I don't get hung up on stabilizers. I throw a stabilizer on the front of the bow and I shoot at the bow. I, yeah. So I do this weird thing where I like I'm calculating all of my arrow kinetic energy in front of centers, but then with stabilizers, I just I'm like no just put it on and shoot. I don't have, I don't mess with the side stabilizers or anything like that. Oh man. I'm the same way. Yeah. I put my one stabilizer on, on that. That was it. Yeah. It was good. And then arrows. Yeah. I'm always, but I go through a lot of arrows. I do shoot a lot. So I go through a lot. My targets don't last very long. And then all of a sudden mm -hmm. you'll have one arrow go right through it. Yeah. It hits the brick, yeah. and the brick pile behind it. And you're like, ah, yeah, I have exploded arrow. a few arrows and it's, it's, it's painful to hear. Yeah. People always want to do the, the Robin Hood, right? They always want to Robin Hood their arrows. And then the first time you do it, you're like, that's the last time I want to do it now because that was, you know, yeah, $25 and I, gone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, yeah, it's time too. I mean, I fletch all my own arrows. And cool, it's yeah. time. And it's, yeah, it's a lot of time. But uh, yeah, my release, I shoot the thumb release, but I have uh, a custom made one of those insatiables. I cut it down a bit and filed it a bit. So that's cool. And, and it's funny though, if I lose that release, I'm going to be screwed. So yeah <laughs> uh, i tried the the regular you know the three finger insatiable that that carter makes and i just that's what mine originally was and then i i cut it down glued it filed it made it all custom so, wow yeah last year when i was antelope hunting i 
I, I put it down and I almost lost it, but it has a real, I put, I drilled a hole through it and put a real nice bright yeah. orange, orange, uh, wrist string around it. Yeah. So luckily I was walking by and I seen the, the bright orange. So man, antelope is my, like, that'd be, that's my absolute. If someone told me I could hunt one thing tomorrow, it would be antelope. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. I got a buddy out there and he's, uh, he's just getting into guiding and stuff. And I was him last year and man, it's a hoot. It's where did you have to go for that? Uh, I went to medicine hat. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's a unique way of hunting. That's for sure. The way that the style they do it, it's, it's, uh, it's not in a blind or anything. It's, it's a sort of spot and stock approach. It's just with a bow. Bow. Yeah, man. That's tough. eh? Yeah, it's tough. I got uh, mine. I think he was fifty-eight. He was sort of um, running to the left a little bit, but I nice. mean, out in, out in BC, I mean, uh, a sixty-yard shot for us is, um, you know, that's pretty standard. So I don't even yeah. myself. My pins start at thirty, so I'm mean, typically shooting at, you know, fifty yards. So yeah, daily. so this is like, and that's like how even for ant, like everything from antelope on up, eh? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. super interesting. Like I remember when I started in Ontario, it was like, um, I don't, I don't know what the kind of bulk of the opinion would be now, but at the time the thinking was like a 40 yard shot on a whitetail is like max that you'd want to go. And 20 to 30, like 15 to 30 yards is what you want to aim for. Um, and that was what I always it's like, oh, 40 yards, 40 yards. That's all that's, you know, effective and ethical. And then you talk to people in different areas of the country, particularly with different size, you know, when you get into things like moose and elk where you're, the vitals are a lot bigger. But it's, it, it's interesting that you get to different areas and people and, and have different, um, you know, different baselines on, on what the distances are and what's totally reasonable. And you realize that, um, you, you know, either these things are context specific or they're just not as hard and fast as people like to like to say they are. And I think both are true, but certainly the latter, we, we talk about hunting ethics sometimes as they're, as they're so there's set rules and you know, it's not, not the case. Yeah. And I think it's hunt specific too, because my brother, he moved out to Alberta and I mean, he shoots tree stand. So he shoots at, you know, 20 yards. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he just, he'll practice 30 yards, but I mean, um he said he's never even shot in a deer over 30 yards out there so yeah and that, and that was the same we would always all tree stand hunt so um yeah we would you know position the tree stand or if we were if we were shooting over um yeah you know a, a bait bait or whatever um which is legal in ontario um yeah you just you just put the stand at 20 yards but yeah, yeah it's it is interesting though yeah um when it's funny when i was reading your stuff man it's just i just get going on so many other rabbit holes it's it's funny and then i'm <laughs> yeah. like well man i gotta get back to what i was reading here like i i got like <laughs> i look at my print because i don't like reading things off the off the computer screen mm-hmm. i have to print them up so um i look turn around and i've got like 500 pages sitting on my printer yeah <laughs> so i'm the same way i do the same thing and then i'm and then i'm like rifling through papers to look at what i've written in the margins or underlined or something somewhere um yeah so uh i guess paul maybe before we get going here you should uh maybe just tell the listeners a bit about who you are yeah absolutely so um 
grew up in Ontario, um, you know, spent a lot of time, like grew up mostly in, in kind of urban and suburban areas. So um, spent a lot of time in small pockets of outdoor spaces there, um, but got into backcountry camping, canoeing and, and hiking and, and camping primarily in, you know, the provincial park system in high school um, and that. So I was really involved in outdoors, outdoors activities growing up, but got into hunting um, while I was doing my master's uh, research um, in uh, when I was living in Peterborough, Ontario. So in my twenties, I got into hunting and, and was doing some work um, with some school in ecology and ecosystem management um, programs. And so really, as I was getting into both hunting and um, a more academic so, and, well, and, and applied training in ecology and outdoor and, and environmental science, those two things were really sort of fused for me. I, I kind of came at both an understanding of um, hunting and environmental science and management as sort of a really kind of integrated package, um, which is, which I think was important um, for later work that I ended up doing. So I went on from there to do um, a PhD in environmental studies uh, and uh, did a lot of research in Northern Canada. So I did it um, in, in, the, in Nunavut particularly and did some work around um, with polar bears and, and seals and some fisheries management and research. Um, so I worked with a lot of, so I had the opportunity to work with hunters and fishers, um, you know, personally, but also professionally right up into the Arctic. Um, and so again, like it was like these, these things were really closely connected and integrated for me where I, I had, a, um, or I was able to kind of be involved in these in hunting and fishing and come at it from a um, kind of science and management perspective, which was, which was, I think really good. Um, so yeah, anyway, I, over the last few years, I've been living and working in Newfoundland and Labrador, um, for a few years in, uh, in Maine, Labrador, and worked for the government there on environmental recording, environmental research programs. And then now we're, uh, we're in St. John's, Newfoundland, and I work for the Fisheries and Oceans Canada and their uh, marine conservation program. Um, and so, yeah, I've been able to kind of to, to hunt and fish in um, some pretty amazing places um, from BC into like from coastal BC to uh, up to Nunavut and dip back down through the Labrador coast and, and Newfoundland. So it's been, it's been really cool. Yeah, I bet. So I first came across your stuff um, on Facebook, believe it or not, something actually good came out of Facebook. Um, you got a webpage, Landscapes and Letters. Um, I mean, mm -hmm. it's got tons of good material and articles on there. And I think it's a must read for, you know, anybody, especially hunters. There's so much good information on there. And, uh, um, I mean, I think you and I discussed, we're going to, we're going to, uh, instead of doing a one long podcast, we're going to try to do, um, a series on all your articles. Um, mm -hmm. we'll try to get you on every, you know, once every couple months or something, depending on your schedule. And, uh, no, that's great. I mean, I, I think I was saying to you, I sit in on a, a bit of my own echo chamber sometimes putting these things together and I don't get the chance to talk about them as much so um, as much as people want to want to hear us ramble about these things I'm good 
Yeah, no, I mean, especially now with all the stuff going on, I think um, these conversations are good. I say all the time, even if only 10 people are listening, but those 10 people talk to 10 people, right? It's, uh, yeah, um, it's all just about awareness. I totally agree. And I think that like we, it's, I really try to take a bit of a, a patient approach to these conversations and these issues where um, I, a lot of the topics I like to try and address and dig into are ones that by nature are not going to be solved and dealt with in 240 characters or less or in one conversation. And I think that's one of the things we put too much pressure on ourselves right now is to get everything out there as fast as possible and, and then move on. And I sort of resist that or that temptation. So I think that the, the slow, the, the long game with these, the more patient approach to the conversations is good. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think, uh, you know, to give people some contrast of what we're talking about, I think for the most part, we're talking about, um, you know, the difference between uh, hunters and, and non-hunters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I mean, uh, there's been a feud between hunters and non-hunters going on for, man, I don't even know how long, but, uh, you know, to my for myself, it doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, I, me sitting on this side of the fence and, you know, I have an infinite love for animals. Uh, now, and, you know, the non-hunters or anti-hunters, you know, they, they claim to have the same goals or, or motivation as we do. And now if we share this contiguous uh, goal or motivation, I mean, you know, you'd think that we'd be working together on some issues rather than um, just the squabbling and stuff. I mean, uh, you know, I'd like to say that it's, um, it's more profound on their side than it is on our side, uh, you know, the, the finger pointing and stuff. But uh, in some cases, I just... I'm just not too sure about it. Yeah, I I think I, I agree with you. Um, I think it's always we get some sometimes like lost in our own context. And it's sort of like asking a fish to describe water, right? Where it's we're so in it that it's difficult to to see what's going on, except for looking outwards. It's difficult to look inwards. And um, you know, and I think I I am I think maybe one of my one of the one of the reasons that I'm kind of grateful. Well, I'm, I am grateful to have such a firm support for hunting and hunters and pretty strong at this point. And I'm comfortable with my strong convictions that it, that as an activity, right. As a concept, it's, it's, it's correct and it's ethical and it's good for us as human beings and as societies. But I am also grateful that um, to a certain extent that I grew up really kind of understanding a pretty firsthand experience of being an anti-hunter. Um, I didn't understand hunting. I did not know what it was. And I was unfortunate that I, it was unfortunate that I didn't have anyone close to me who did. So, um, you so know, what sort I, of changed that? Why did you all of a sudden, you know, I, I mean, for myself, it's, it's hard for me to see that because I grew up in a hunting family and a fishing family. You know what I mean? Like I started fishing mm-hmm. when, um, you know, I was four or five years old and I shot my first grouse when I was like eight. So, yeah. Uh, and I you know it's always been ingrained and in, in it's part of my DNA. It's part of who I am. And it's part of what consumes my thoughts. And I mean, um, you know, I did have a, uh, a period of life where my career path took me to where I, I was unable to, I was just too busy. You know, I had starting a new family and I just didn't have the time and, or the, or the finances to take any time off work or, so I couldn't hunt or fish. Um, but, uh, for me, for the most part, it's, it's always been a huge part of who I am. So what was, you know, how did that change for you from going from, you know, say 
a person who's never hunted a, 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 a perhaps non-hunter to to now a hunter well i think it's so this paper this piece that we were kind of got that you and i got talking about around the difference between animal welfare and animal rights i like i think that the sentiment behind or the kind of foundation behind when i put that together that's what it was that changed things for me is that i didn't is that um I was, you know, I had to, I had some great teachers and mentors in different areas of my life. And for, for whatever reason, ended up um, in a place where I was able to listen to and meet and learn from a lot of people who did hunt um, and people who became extremely influential in my own, the development of my own hunting ethics and ideas and understandings of, of the activity. So there was that, I had personal contact with people. But I also, I think, because I, as I say, because I kind of, for me, when I started learning about and starting hunting, it was really kind of integrated with some academic work that I was doing and professional work. I think I also um, had the fortune of being able to approach it with that really kind of um, slow, methodical kind of understanding of it where I was, I was able to pick apart, okay, well, what is it that I, what is it that maybe I don't like and why don't I like it? And I was able to spend the time really asking myself those questions and then digging for actual answers. Um, and it was never, I was never pushed by anyone to, um, to have an, an opinion or an understanding of, of things based only on reaction and emotion. It was always about, you know, let's find the answers and let's, and let's take it sort of one step at a time. And so I think in that way, the, the move to me, the move for me was, um, as genuine and as, um, you know, I think uh, definitive as it could possibly be because I didn't take any of those questions and issues for granted. I had to like, I, I, you know, I forced myself and allowed myself the time to, to really explore everything. What, like, why do I want to do this particular thing and not that particular thing? What do I think about this method of hunting or that method of hunting and why, you know? So I think that was what it was for me. It was, I, I, it, you know, I, I took the time and I can't overestimate the importance of having of one-on-one -on -one conversations and just having people that took the time to have genuine conversations, you know, with me about it. Um, yeah. So that was certainly like a, a, a big part of my process. Yeah. So did you have like a, a hunt, uh, one specific hunting mentor when you got into this, or is it kind of like a conglomerate of um, peers that yeah, just eased you into the whole hunting process? So I had, a, I had a, a few really specific ones. So the person, the, um, yeah, he's a professor at Trent university. His name's Dan Longboat. He was on my master's committee and he's the one who first um, introduced me to the whole concept of bow hunting and, and had me shooting a bow for the first time. And then I worked, I met um, through some mutual friends. I met uh, a couple of friends who they run um, a firearms and hunting education company in Ontario um, called guide to game. And so I went and did my hunting education courses with them and got licensed. And the two was a father, son, their both names are both Mark who owned the company. Um, they were instrumental in that to me so they invited me out to go hunting with them um, both turkey and deer I ended up um, later moving on to the property and working for their company for five years um, I mentioned before I kind of have a bit of a dove into the whole thing pretty obsessively and with a with a bit of a um, 
maybe unhealthy commitment to the whole thing. But uh, so, I, yeah, so, I mean, I, I, I just completely immersed myself in it and ended up working for them and guiding a little bit with them and assist, uh, becoming a bit of an assistant instructor for the courses. So those people in particular were um, really key in teaching me how to do it, but also teaching me how to think about doing it and letting me kind of explore that um, and giving me the, they never, you know, give me that kind of, that kind of latitude. Um, and then when I was in school uh, for ecology, I had all kinds of friends who, who, who hunted and trapped and everything. I, I fit, always fished when I was young, but I had friends who hunted and trapped and um, they were then as, as peers, they were great, you know? Yeah. So what about like the process of eating wild meat? Is this something you did uh, before you started hunting or was that a new experience as well? Once you started totally hunting? New. It was yeah. totally new. Um, yeah. I, uh, ate fish like I um and I and I think this is the other thing is I I've sort of thought about wild meat as th- I didn't really have this kind of hierarchy of orders of you know where fish or this other thing so I ate fish so I considered that I had eaten wild animals but nothing on nothing on land or that flew um and when I when I was working and living at the guide to gain this, this kind of, um, this hunting and firearms company, they had, of course, a giant freezer full of all kinds of all manner of species and gave me the whole, like, help yourself have at it. And I did, <laughs> you know, so, um, no, I never had any, um, hesitation or issue or hang up on eating wild meat. And I think that comes back to, um, I had learned a lot while I was in university for, for, you know, politics and social science topics. Um, I had learned a lot about um, animal ethics and food production ethics and had come to learn a lot, a great deal about the, the kind of animal industrial production system. You know, that's a whole other topic, but, but I, I had thought a lot about the ethics of eating and food and food production and food sourcing and things. So to me, it was like to have access to wild game that checked the, that box for me very strongly of an ethical source of food yeah you know and, and so it wasn't about it, by the time I became comfortable with the act of hunting I was already very comfortable with um the idea that this is a, 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 a I was more comfortable with the ethics of of getting your own meat and food than yeah you know yeah and I think that kind of gets lost I, I mean I don't know if that's uh, again, the opposite, or our opposers, uh, you know, if that's their their point, is to portray hunters as, you know, the term they like to use, trophy hunting. Um, but I mean, you know, for myself, and it's always just been about food. It's it's meat. Whatever you kill, you you eat the entire thing, and there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um, yeah. You know, and you know, it, it's funny how when we talk about preservation of eating wild meat and. You know, my wife, she grew up, her dad was a huge hunter and they always had wild meat, uh, wild game in the freezer. And I think that's probably mostly what they ate. And, you know, it, it's funny when I, you know, obviously I bring home a lot of, a lot of animals throughout the year. So, I mean, we always have a freezer full of meat and yeah, she's still, she still, I don't know if it's just, uh, the way it was, um, the way it was, it was introduced to her. And I mean, her dad was really rugged, right? So it was more of a macho thing than than i think uh anything else and um yeah she still has preservations when you know i cook a big big elk roast she'll eat it but uh you know what i mean eh? yeah 
Yeah. She's not oh. sitting there with, she's not sitting there over the barbecue with, uh, with fork in hand, like, you know, like the rest of us. So. Oh, that's yeah, super that, interesting. Yeah, it is. It is. It's, and I think uh, it comes back to kind of worst. Well, to me that like, if that's interesting to me that she grew up with it, but then again, took a similar sort of process. I, I mean, maybe I'm, I don't want to put words in her mouth, but a similar sort of process of, of questioning it and digging into an understanding of it for herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's something there that, you know, there's, there's three people we've just been talking about and three different stories, right. Where of, of both of the connection between how you grew up and where you are now and between you, me and your wife and, and my wife has a probably could add even, um, another one actually into that mix. So I think that, 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 that difference in paths and understandings and the, like this, the importance of, of both those things of, of your sort of your background, but also the, the process of coming to understand something yourself um, are super key. And I think what's super interesting about your story there between you and your wife is that um, it doesn't sound like she's, an anti-hunter she's not oh no by no means i mean right and that, and that gray you, area. yeah you wouldn't be able to live in my house because there's not a room in my house that doesn't have something hanging off the wall so well exactly and like that <laughs> and she, i think this is what we miss sometimes is that there is i really i'm really careful to, to different to distinguish between non-hunters and anti-hunters right um because i think they're two very different groups um, yeah i agree and i think that 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 gray area i mean most of the public does not hunt but most of the public are not anti-hunters yeah and well exactly the, yeah you know yeah and well yeah exactly i mean i know um i mean i know more non-hunters than i do hunters um you yeah. know i don't i don't know i mean i know of anti-hunters i don't talk to anti-hunters i don't associate anti-hunters i mean are two lifestyles just they just wouldn't mix wouldn't mingle and i'm far too of of an emotional person especially when it comes to hunting to engage um face to face with an anti-hunter so yeah i just avoid it altogether but i mean when i talk to non-hunter um you know and i've said this said this before it's all about just sharing my story and and my experiences with hunting because the most of my experiences with hunting aren't about hunting at all i mean i've oh yeah i've I've like last year, I think I hunted maybe 75 days um, of the year and I shot seven animals. So Mm -hmm. you start, I mean, so 69 and 68 of those days were spent unsuccessful, but I mean, Mm -hmm. so a lot of those days were spent with myself and, you know, then with myself, I have a huge connection to the outdoors and the wilderness. A lot of those days were spent with my son, which you know, is the most valuable part of hunting to me now is hunting with my son. And, um, a lot of, some of those days are spent with my father. So, um, you know, and my cousin and my friends. So, I mean, there's so many nuances into it that, um, yeah, you, once you start sharing those experiences with the non-hunters, they kind of see it as, okay, well, maybe it's not about killing stuff. And I, I rarely share the experience of harvesting an animal when I'm telling a hunting story, mm-hmm. especially to somebody who's not, I mean, if I'm talking to their hunter, yeah, of course, you know, I'm going to bring up, uh, you know, the nice big six by six elk I just shot. But when I'm talking to un, somebody who's a non-hunter, I try to engage those conversations around um, family ties, um, you know, and, and just connection to the outdoors of wilderness. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think that one of the things we have to be get collectively as a world, but particularly as hunters, that we need to really get more comfortable with is exactly what you just said, is that our stories, you know, so I think of it in the, in the sense of our stories need to be honest, but they don't need to be complete. <laughs> you know, where we have to get more comfortable with the way that we tell our stories and the elements that we focus on being different, depending on the audience you're talking to. Um, and we need to, we need to not worry about, you know, we're not pandering. We're not being politically correct. All these things we need to, we need to get rid of those sort of fears and concerns we have and become more comfortable with the idea that um, when we talk to another hunter, we naturally are going to focus on different elements of the story than when we talk to a non-hunter or then, or, or, you know, and I think that that's something that um, I don't think hunters are as, I don't think we've necessarily thought about that in, as, as, as um, in such in as much of a focus way as we need to, but I also don't think we're as comfortable with that. I think we feel like we sometimes are on the defensive and we need to justify everything. And, and, um, and people, people see that, right. People see through that. And so I think that when we're talking to different people, um, I'll tell the story totally differently. It's not going to be, it's not going to be incorrect. It's not going to be dishonest, but I'm going to like highlight different aspects of it. Right. Um, if I'm talking to um, a hunter or a non-hunter or an academic or an ecologist or, wh- or whoever. Right. Um, and I think that we are really comfortable as hunters saying, well, hunting is about so many things besides just the killing. And we know yeah. that. And so that therefore that allows us the opportunity to, when we tell those stories, to highlight all those different things. And I think we need to be more deliberate about that um, when we do tell those stories. Yeah, well, I I agree 100%. And, um, you know, when you first walk into my house, I mean, you're going to see a deer hanging on the wall. And you look around the corner, you're going to see an elk skull. Mm -hmm. And then you'll see some deer skulls hanging not far from it. And then you'll see a big muley rack on the wall a goat you know another elk and it's funny when i have you know my son's friends come over and then the first thing they see is oh wow they look and they just see death everywhere right but <laughs> instead of me saying oh yeah I, i'm a hunter and those are my trophies you know i, I invite the person in and because every single piece of animal on the wall to me is a story mm-hmm and I take that person and I, I walk them around the house and we don't do it for all of them. And, um, and I share each story and, and, and talk a little bit about, you know, that hunt, who it was with, what I went through, how hard it was, you know, the highs, the lows and all that. And usually by the time we get to the third or fourth animal, they see everything in a completely different light. Oh, then they're asking questions, right? And now they're intrigued and now they're looking at it as like, wow, you know, I would have never thought that if you didn't explain it to me like that. Like their first assumption is, is just disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think in this way, similar things when you cook someone a meal, right. And you cook a a slab of, of meat for somebody. um, We don't often necessarily as quickly associate a piece of, whether well and it doesn't have to just be meat it can be something you've you know we uh, my wife did a lot of berry picking but it's a similar sort of thing that like there's an entire story wrapped up in that whether that's whether it's a piece of meat or, or something you forage a handful of mushrooms whatever the case is um and i think that those stories can be wrapped up in all kinds of elements of the hunt um mm-hmm. 
and using those opportunities to tell, to tell stories and to highlight the motivations in those stories, right? I think that's the other part to me is that when we tell a story about a, about a hunt, um, it's not just this sort of um, emotionally void, re- or, you know, objective retelling of steps. You know, and I think that within the story, there's all kinds of little motivations and, and, and um, ideas wrapped up in there. And that's something else I think we need to highlight is that is as we tell this, as we tell the story, it's also highlighting, well, this is why I do it. This thing right here, this part of the story, whether it's the highs and lows or the, or the sense of, or the food or whatever, it's also, it's also emphasize, emphasizing that that's part of the reason I do it. Yeah. Um, because I, you know, worry that we sometimes we tell the story and then someone goes, yeah, but it's still just to kill. Mm-hmm. And if we, if we can also then focus on um, the, that key motivation that I think really helps too. Yeah. And another thing I also try to do is when I, when I associate or get into these discussions is I try to emphasize that uh, a lot of the work that hunters are, are currently working on and a lot of success stories that hunters, you know, uh, organizations have had in the past. I, I think mm-hmm. that's, that's important as well. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like you said, you don't want to just portray it because yeah, I mean, after all this, they might just say, oh yeah, but at the end of the day, you're still killing. And I mean, you know, there's certain people that, you're just not going to be able to change their mind. And, and that is what it is, but um, it's still important to engage your conversation and share your story with everybody. Um, and, and like you said, I mean, you know, it doesn't have to be specific, but um, um, learning to learning to sift out the, the, you know, the bad stuff. And or I guess it's not really bad stuff. It's just um, less appealing stuff, I guess. Um, yeah. And, and not blaming the person for that. Um, right not having to blame the person for not wanting to hear about the blood or the kill shot because it's we just don't all find the same things interesting and again i think we need to um move away from this this like well if you want to hear about it you get all the gory details and it's like there's sorry to burst your bubble but there's no part of anyone's life that i'm interested in completely every possible detail about it yeah well (laughs) exactly yeah i'm interested in the stuff i'm interested in i want to hear about that stuff in a lot of cases i'm very interested in the broadhead you used and where the shot went and Mm -hmm. the 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 rifle trajectory and stuff but other people are not interested in those things and we need to not blame them for that and we also need to not blame other hunters for understanding that and i think that's something that i get really frustrated about as well is this these this kind of um within the hunting community, these, this kind of lateral accusations of, of, wow, you're just pandering to the, to them, or you're just watering down or, 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 or whatever. And I think uh, um, that's equally as damaging. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is definitely. And, you know, and it, it's funny um, a lot, you know, when you talk to some people and, and um, there's so many elements to hunting that, all different people are are interested in and you know my style of hunting is you know more of a backpack style hunting and i um i like to hunt with my my bow when i can i don't always do it it's probably half half and half and but mm-hmm. i train constantly for hunting you know what i mean i'm up at 4 a.m and i train and so when i tell people this they're like why are you get up at 4 a.m to to work out and train i'm like well i train for hunting and they're and then 
they're like, you train for hunting. Don't you just drive around in a truck and shoot animals? (laughs) And then you kind of explain it to them, what the whole process that you do. And then they're like, wow. And then now they're interested, right? Now they want to know more. And then they're asking, well, well, what do you do for training? And and Mm -hmm. they ask you about diet. And then, then all of a sudden, you know, it segues into, now we're talking about archery and like, oh, I always wanted to start archery. Is there, where, where can I go to get into that? I want to get my kid into it. Right. You know what I mean? It, it's just, it's never ending. I t- yeah, absolutely. And I think, again, I always come back to this. So many of us love hunting because it has, it, it captures so many parts of our lives. Right. As like, as you just said right there, it's, it's focus, it's, it's fitness, it's delicious food, it's time with family. It's all these things. And every, to me, every single one of those things is a chance to pull someone else into it a little bit. You know, if someone is, likes to eat and cook, I have a way that I can introduce you to hunting. If somebody, um, like you said, if someone's interested in, in, well, what do you mean you, what do you mean it's, it has a fitness component? Well, then bring them in that way. I have brought so many people out shooting a bow and, a bow and arrow and a gun for the first time and who have then gone on to get their hunting licenses. Um, And even if they don't end up hunting that much, there's still one more person that understands it and can talk about it. And And, and um, accepts it. Totally. And accepts and embraces it. And um, that's, I mean, I just, we've heard it before, but it's, you know, to emphasize that invite somebody out with you. And that doesn't necessarily mean like, again, like I don't, that doesn't necessarily mean they have to come out hunting invite them wherever they want to go, mm-hmm. whatever they want to do that connects to, that you have a connection to hunting with. And um, that might just be, that might just be a, a hike. Like you say, when you're out scouting, that might just be out shed hunting with you. Yep. And, then, and it's the chance to talk to them about ecology and about natural history and ID skills and things. Yeah, um, exactly. And then, you know, we do it with my, I do it with my kids all the time, uh, identify a tree. And uh, I remember, with a friend this year and a, uh, a friend of, of his, we had him out, we were checking trail cameras mm-hmm. and he, he was, he's not a hunter. We were kind of grilling him. We, we were, you know, as we were going, we were teaching him how to hike and what, you know, which drainage to go up to and what to look for, for ground. And like, don't walk on there, walk over here. Don't step here. Don't step here. And then, you know, to him, it was just, he was amazed. It was just like, well, how do, how do you know all this? And he said, well, we know it all from experience. Yeah, so yeah, totally. you, know, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's so many avenues that to hunting that it's... and all and i mean i'll also i guess for other people out there who are in maybe in a similar um area of work or, or, or background as me i've also found endless um opportunities in academic conversations to get people to, to not to, to introduce us to, to people um you know i've i i've talked to ended up on hunting conversations through topics that are just wildly out in left field that to me connect in my mind, they connect because that's how I got into these things. And, and, I, and we, you know, um, but sitting in a, in an academic lecture or seminar and we end up talking about hunting. Um, so again, it's like sort of meeting people where they are, um, and, and being excited to do that. Right. Um, yeah, exactly. I'm always excited to engage hunting to, to other people. You know, I, I could be in a store and, you know, butt into a conversation and, and then, you know, I could, in that store for hours talking about hunting and and sharing my story and Mm -hmm. you know um yeah definitely and i think it like yeah i think it just it kind of comes back to me a lot to um to those those spaces while like there was those kind of nuances of things that we might not 
if we're going too fast, we're going to skim over those little, those little, you know, those little valleys where we're looking, we're looking at the horizon and not, and, and missing what's right, what's kind of tucked away in those little draws and valleys sometimes. And it's in there that, that we realize again, like this one that you and I got onto that we realize, you know, we're missing something here. We're missing the idea that when people talk about animal rights, animal welfare, for instance, we're, those are two different things. And if we don't take the time to understand them a little bit, we might miss a chance to have a conversation with somebody that, that actually is connects with them. Um, it's funny because you already mentioned it is, you know, it's, it's a little different for everybody else. I mean, hunting is very in, individualistic where, you know, there's so many different aspects of it and um, I'll never put judgment as long as they're doing it legally and ethically, I'll never put judgment on a, a hunter ever. I particularly prefer to hunt, uh, you know, with a backpack and with my boots. Now, when you're talking to other people, they're going to feel the same way. They're not always going to be, they're not always going to be interested in all the exact same things you are in the same method you're doing it, but there's going to be certain aspects that they're interested on. And then um, I try to, you know, immediately figure out which of the aspects that they're most interested in and then, you know, dive into the conversation that way. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I completely agree. Um, and I've kind of come to, to I, I go back and forth on this a lot, this, I, this idea around, you know, we hear this kind of like, well, we're all in it together. We all have to look out for each other. And, and I have a difficult time balancing that with, you know, these questions around, around ethics and, you know, am I, where do I draw lines on things? And am I comfortable drawing lines on things? And how do we express, well, I don't agree with that, but without making it seem like we are, now we are on two different sides. Now we are completely polarized um, because it's not the intention. And I don't think that's always the goal. Um, and it's difficult. It's, it's, it's a difficult thing when it's, when it's something that's so personal to someone to, to be able to disagree on something and to be able to say, that's not, I don't like how that's done that way for me. Yeah. But exactly. like you said, it, it's, it's legal and you're not, you're not inflicting damage to the to the what places you're hunting or to the animals you're hunting other than killing them well right but it's it's difficult it's a difficult thing to to disagree on when it's everything is is a it's a hair trigger in society and it's hard to have those disagreements but then also um accept that accept that 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 a disagreement does not have to mean that we are so polarized right well, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, I think that's a, just a common human characteristic is that if, you know, somebody's beliefs don't match your, you are immediate response is to um, disassociate with them or argue the fact, but it, yeah, again, I mean, even with hunters talking with other hunters, it's important to um, hold value to the, to the way they see things as well and not just pass judgment right away. Like, you know what I mean? And, and not only with do that with inside the hunting community, but do it in the non-hunting community and also do it in the anti-hunting community. Yeah. And, and, um, and I do, I agree with you, but there's also, um, we also see evidence and studies that have been done that, that kind of show, I mean, our world and particularly North America, we are more polarized right now than we have it's socially polarized and, and, and we are prone to polarization more than we have been um and so as much as certainly disagreeing and, and expressing that is, is such a natural part of us this rush to 
making someone seem like the enemy and that they are across this, this, this um, uncrossable divide, that that approach is actually a bit on the rise in the last number of years. Um, and so that's something we need to, I think, very actively resist um, and very actively push back against um, in ways like you're saying, find value and what is the person talking about and what do they actually want me to know? And I think that including if that's an anti-hunter, um, you don't have to, we don't have to disagree with them and we probably are never going to agree or if we don't have to agree with them, we probably never will. I mean, there are a number of animal rights organizations, you know, um, PETA and um, in many cases, the Humane Society and the Sea Shepherd Society, they have actively expressed that they will never work with a hunting organization or hunters. Um, yeah, well, I mean, that kind of goes, I mean, the thing is, it kind of goes against everything they stand for. I mean, if there's no hunters, I mean, so unfortunately, hunters are a necessary evil to anti-hunters. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. You know what I mean? You have, to, those, be, you have to have the thing to be an anti-thing. Yeah. So without hunters, there's no anti-hunters. So, I mm -hmm. mean, I mean, I don't know if they draw a line in the, in the sand and say, listen, we're going to push to a certain point. And then once we get to this threshold, we're going to ease off a little bit because we don't want hunting to be completely gone because then uh, what are we going to do? Right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think like, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Um, and I mean, for, uh, for us in the hunting community um, to, to, to try and better understand, you know, where's that person coming from? Like, what do they believe? What's the logic in it? Where does the logic perhaps break down? Um, where is it inconsistent? Um, and where is it actually potentially, where is there just a glimmer of overlap with the things I believe in? Um, that yeah, exercise exactly, is never going has, to be a waste of time for us. No, and there has to be overlap somewhere. Somewhere, mm -hmm. you know, in this tangled mess, there has to be a little bit of overlap. For sure. Does there there is. Not? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. There, there, there's, uh, I have yet to speak to anybody in my life where uh, no matter how strongly we disagree on, on a certain thing and no matter how all encompassing in our lives that thing is that we don't have some aspect of agreement and it's, it leads us into wild, perhaps wildly different paths. But there's, you know, we think about it as a, as a sort of a, um, the, the kind of the tree of life thing, right? As, as distantly as we are related from, from something like a cockroach now, at some point we did have a common ancestor. And at some point, no matter how wildly divergent my values and stories are from somebody, at some point there was a common ancestor of, of value there um, in the conversation. And it's just, it's never going to be, you know, it's, it's never going to be, um, a waste of time for us to try and find that because at the very least yeah we'll never be able get to, to better understand our own our own goals and and uh and and perspectives it will better understand a, a strategy of how we are going to you know push for our own priorities if we better understand the perspective of the other side and i and i and i use the language right there the other side and i, and I shouldn't perhaps but you know um that's my, that's, I think the, the bottom line to me is when I draw this kind of uh, quote other side, it's only in cases where an organization or a group of people or an ideology has as part of its core fundamental that they will never agree with me and they will never work with me. And to me, that's the only time that I, that I see this kind of polarized other side thing, because once we go there, once we have the perspective that 
we will never work together. We will never see anything similarly. Then I think like that, that prevents anything else from happening. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you looked at like the chronology of say conservation, if you go far enough back, there has to be a time where the separation between anti-hunters and uh, hunters or say non-hunters and hunters um, were, were closer. Do you know what I mean? Like oh, there had totally. to, there had to be some point when they're on equal, they're on equal terms. And then, you know, as history um, advanced and, you know, there might've been this cross pollinization of different thoughts and different beliefs. And then all of a sudden it forks, to where we are now and on basically two opposite sides totally um, and, and this is and this is i mean this stuff is traceable and we see it in a lot of areas of of, of our culture and society where we um actively compartmentalized certain ways of thinking and certain approaches and i mean um you know universities used to be someone would go to to go to university and they would have a, a education all kinds of different approaches and it was at a certain point in time when universities said well you know now we're going to separate out law, medicine, and, you know, humanities or philosophy. And they're going to be three separate things. And then they started to separate things out within each of those fields. And so this is a, this was a deliberate thing that humans did is to start to compartmentalize these things. Um, and I, I think we see the similar thing, like you say, in the conservation movement where um, you have at some point in time, you had scientists and naturalists who were shooting things and killing things for, for museum specimens. And then, um, you know, we have a time when, when people kind of realize, well, I, I sort of fit more into one category or the other. And those get so, those become so ingrained. But the, when you look back at a lot of the, 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 the more detailed um, cases and, and moments in the, in, the, in the history of conservation in North America, um, we typically find that most of the, the key figures and movements, um, if they didn't have multiple identities themselves, as you know, for instance, as a, as a hunter and a scientist, we certainly find that they worked together more than we maybe recognize now. Um, yeah. and, and that's, that's absolutely the story. And we, I think we want to focus on the achievements and the figures in our own particular community right now, right? So right now we go, well, we're part of a hunting community. So I want to look back and highlight the roles of hunters, but anyone who's part of a bird watching community is going to look back and say, well, I want to highlight the roles of, of um, bird conservationists throughout history. Yeah. And, so well, we, and, and that's a great point because I mean, not all conservation efforts were done by hunters. You know what I mean? That's, no, that's, that's, right. that's a great point. I think, you know, that sometimes gets lost in everything that, I mean, don't get me wrong. The hunting community has achieved a lot and they've done great things, but there's also other organizations out there that have done uh, pretty remarkable things as well. Totally. And, and, and it's really, it's our, we've worked together with those organizations more than we've worked in opposition to those organizations. Um, when we look back at the last, if we, if we talk about, you know, the capital letter of the conservation movement um, it, as something beginning somewhere around you know, the mid 19th century, that's a long time. And the deliberate concerted animal rights movement to use one example um, is, is much more recent in that time, you know, is, is it, we, it, so 
it's, it, it's, it's origins are traced back much farther, but the opposition we see now is much more recent and we have a much longer history as hunters of, of working together with people, of, of, of extending that kind of olive branch, but also a longer history of other organizations taking that olive branch and, and working with us as well. And that's, I think, something that we need to emphasize is that um, we have much more, a much longer history within the conservation world of, of cooperation than we do of opposition. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think that's something that, like you said, it gets lost over time. And I think maybe it's a little too far forgotten now. And I think that's kind of something we should, we should look, uh, you know, into some of the stuff that was accomplished in the past by just doing that and, uh, and yeah. take note. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, you know, man, uh, I wanted to get into your article because, you know, when I, when I read your article, that was the whole reason I, I, I reached out to you is just because, uh, well, not only that, and then I got onto your webpage, um, which is amazing. Thank but, you. you know, I'm looking at the clock here and we chewed up quite a bit of time already. So I, I think as a good teaser for everybody listening, uh, I think we'll just hold off on that conversation. Um, you know, that that's a great conversation. It talks about the difference between animal rights and animal welfare. And you know what, before I read your article, it's something that I never, never really thought about. So I think it's, it's uh, going to be a great listen for a lot of people, but maybe we'll just hold off on that. Yeah, no, that sounds great. I mean, I, I'd love to chat about all these things um, in more detail at some point. So we'll have to yeah, do more. Yeah, well, it's one of those things I think, you know, if we try to rush into a 20 minute conversation, it's not going to do it justice. And, um, you know, as much as I appreciate my listeners, I don't think they're going to sit here and listen to me for uh, two hours of their day. <laughs> no, I totally agree. I, I, I totally makes sense to me, man. But yeah. uh, on that note, I guess uh, I'm going to let you go. And uh, well, I'm going to say till next time and, uh, and you and I will keep in touch and we're going to line something up here, you know, maybe towards the end of March, if you got some time or beginning of April and um, we'll connect and we'll talk about your article. Yeah, man, I, that'd be great. I really appreciate you having me on. It's been it's been super fun to talk, chat, and um, and I'm you know I'm really I'm interested to hear what folks think about it too, and what they kind of want to hear more about because I think uh, um, one of the other advantages of this of these range of topics is that um, you know while I say that I have had the the fortune I'm grateful to have been able to think about and study these things from an academic perspective, I think one of the really great parts about these topics is that um, they're not out of reach. From anybody they're not they don't they don't just sit in an ivory tower somewhere that all of these topics um exist first and foremost yeah they're on the ground for everybody and, oh totally they're 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 the the mud stuck under our boots so to so to speak of this stuff so i think um i hope people are are super into it and, and definitely keen to hear what everyone thinks but yeah no thanks so much for having me on i it's been it's been great um you know in the meantime until we get you on again where can people read some of your work so uh, the website is landscapesandletters.com. Um, I pulled that as a, a line from a, one of my favorite books um, that you can also find on there. But yeah, landscapesandletters.com. Um, because my name sounds very similar to... Uh, Paul McCartney? Right. It's, I'm ungoogleable. <laughs> if you search Paul McCartney, Google will just correct your spelling. But if you search my name and... Landscapes. conservation or hunting it'll yeah. come up i think so yeah. yeah what i did yeah when i googled your name after <laughs> article um nothing but the beatles came up that's so. right no i'm invisible on the internet so it's great <laughs> yeah but uh if you type in I, I found you eventually it just took a little bit of work but i'm glad i did yeah, yeah landscapesandletters.com it'll pop up there 
Yeah. And I, I, again, I'll, I'll have all your information in the show notes of the show and um, people are going to hear about, hear from you again here real quick. So, but uh, in the meantime, um, you know, keep in touch and uh, we'll talk soon, buddy. Great. Thanks, Kevin. We'll talk soon. Okay. Okay, you believe that? Wow. I guess it's all worth it.